Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm James Deacon and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to you. And here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is sex and relationships author and broadcaster Lucy Beresford. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm really well. I'm very excited to be on the desert island because I'm assuming it's going to be humid Mm. and sandy. Yes. And yeah, I might never leave. Yes, uh, really? Okay, is that Mm. Where you imagine yourself? Often, yes. Yeah. <laughs> if I do my visualisations and I take myself to somewhere very humid and, you know, sound of water lapping and things like that. I'm assuming there would be a bit of trauma there with the plane crash. Yeah. But, I, you know, I'll, I'll plough my way through that. And Get over it. Quite hopefully, quickly. yes. <laughs> wow, OK. Um, Lucy, so let's dive in. Who's going to be your first person? My first person, my first dick, is Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Yeah, I know. Apparently he's the nicest man in Hollywood. So I do feel a bit bad about this. Um, but I'm sure he listens. What? So, you know, maybe what? this could be the turning point for him. It's not low-hanging fruit, so why Tom Hanks? <laughs> well, I, there are two reasons, really. Firstly, in my view, he is exactly the same in every single movie okay. that you ever have him in. He is, he is Tom Hanks, and he's got this ever-so-slightly annoying... Oh, shucks, what, me? Kind of right. persona. And that, that really winds me up. It doesn't really matter what film he's in. That's what he's putting out there. Uh, ultimately, even if he's trying to be hard, even if he's trying to be playful, it still never really quite works. And I, I, can you imagine being on the island with somebody like that? Mm. Who he'd, be like, he'd go into kind of like Forrest Gump mode and he'd be like, well, you know, my mom said it would be like a box of chocolates. I'd be like, no, we're on this crisis island and we've got to kind of sort ourselves out and be like, no, chill. Um, I just think there'd be just too much schmaltz on the island. All of his movies, most of his movies are about schmaltz. Yes, um, they are. Toy Story and Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail. And it would just be schmaltz overload and that would make me really ill. It is schmaltzy. He is a castaway, isn't he? In well, cast- uh, well, you see, that brings me to my second problem, which is that there is some, obviously something slightly jinxy about him uh, because when you think about the fact that he is he's linked to like spaceships rockets planes boats uh, it, everything he touches kind of is a bit of a disaster linked to a desert island crash and i'm thinking you know so obviously something would probably go wrong mm. uh if he if he takes a rocket to the moon, that gets fucked up. If he's landing a plane in New York, something goes wrong with that. Um, he, he's even in that movie where um, he lands in an airport and his country gets kind of um, cancelled. The passport gets uh, rescinded and, and he has to live in an airport. So yes. I kind of feel he's a bit jinxy when it comes to planes and stuff like that. And then there was the movie where he's he's on a boat. Even if a boat came to rescue us, you remember Captain Phillips? Mm, who, yeah, I, yeah. 
am the captain now. Absolutely, yeah. I'd be like, don't get on a boat with Tom Hanks. Don't get on the boat with Tom Hanks because <laughs> yeah. something would go wrong. Yeah. And then, of course, there's yeah. Castaway. Yes. Castaway and Splash. My God. It's, splash. It's not just Castaway. Where I would worry that he would be trying to make a movie out of our experience. And so he wouldn't be trying to get off the island as quickly as possible. He'd be like, no, what's my journey? What's my character going to go through? We need to act one, act two, act three. I'd be like, come on, we just need to get off the island. Uh, yes. um, and he'd be, no, 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 we need to go through the whole experience. And he'd probably be talking about all the things he did to get into character for Castaway. Right. And I'd be his little kind of, you know, Wilson oh, yeah. <laughs> basketball yeah. thing. <laughs> and that would be my role. And that would just be really deflating, I think. Oh, that's so sad. So, no, I think... Um, Tom Hanks, it, it would be, it, it would it would be painful because everything about it would be about Tom Hanks and how he could turn it into the next movie, okay, the I next see. disaster movie. You think, yeah. Mm. So he'd be already thinking about how he's going to turn that into his. Yep, how to play it, um, what the story arcs would be, what traumas we needed to go through. He'd find snakes, he would find locusts, he would he'd, he'd probably go hell for leather to make it a really mad experience. And as I've just explained, I would be quite looking forward to just, you know, being on the beach, yes. letting the water <laughs> ripple over my toes. And he, he probably wouldn't think that be dramatic enough no who's going to play you in this film oh god what an amazing question someone i don't know <laughs> i could be really conceited and think of someone really amazing and beautiful and talented but i don't know maybe i could just do it myself if okay. i was like on location i could choose the possible desert island location and Mm. make it in Maldives or something. Let's make it a really nice desert island. And then you could forge your acting career from based from that. Wouldn't that be incredible? Get yes. my equity card that way. Hello. Thank you Now we're that, talking. James. Thank yeah, you. Okay. <laughs> that career tip there. Yeah. Well, you know. Hollywood, um, are you listening? Should you be in this situation? <laughs> I hope you're never in this situation. <laughs> Thank you. But uh, should you be in this situation, maybe that'll work out for you. Tom Hanks, I like, I know um, you picked up on a lot of his sort of uh, characterizations, but doesn't it just seem so nice, Tom Hanks? Well, he even thought, he started writing novels. It's like, Has well, now he? what can I turn my... Yes, so he's he's now got a novel out. And there's a part of it, and there's novelists, there's a part of me thinking, no, you, you can't you can't kind of monopolise all these careers. Yeah. You know, what would you like to do next? <laughs> have a cookery show or something. Yeah. Um, yes, but maybe it's the niceness that would get to me in the end that actually you just can't... You need a bit of grit in the oyster, don't you? Yeah. And uh, there's a part of me thinking, this this could be really painful. Yes, okay, just a bit too... Schmaltzy. Yeah. yeah, a bit too schmaltzy. Tom Hanks for the schmaltz. Okay. Um, anything else on Tom Hanks before we put him on the island? Well, I do feel a bit... I, I mean, it, I make it sound like I've seen all his movies, um, but I, he is definitely someone where I think, okay, if he's in that movie, I'm definitely not going to go and see it. So I rely on everybody else going, talking about it, um, eulogising about it, uh, and then just making a decision. No, that, that's not for me. Okay. So that that could that could be awkward. So he'd arrive on the island. We'd be, you know, hopefully we'd both have been in I don't know first class or something. Nice. Um, and and maybe he would expect me to know who he was. 
Ah. Or do you think he'd be really nice about it? And um, apparently, David Beckham always introduces himself as David Beckham. Isn't that amazing? And maybe Tom Hanks would be the same. He'd be like, "Hi, hi, I'm Tom Hanks." Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're I, making me like him now. This is not working. <laughs> this isn't. He's what a dick. Meant, he's a dick. Is, he's a dick. This isn't what I meant to do. Sorry, that wasn't my intention. I just, um, I just, I just really like Tom Hanks. Uh, Tom Hanks and David Beckham. It's weird, isn't it? When do you stop introducing yourself? It's a characteristic of you, quite humble person, and maybe. You Think. Well, when I've been doing, I, I'm, I'm often invited to be a sort of talking head on, on various television programmes and I get invited to quite a lot of political programmes mm. and I'm always very struck at how male politicians never introduce themselves. They kind of assume that you know exactly who they are. Really? And I'm afraid I just don't. I'm not a political junkie in that way. No. So I think, I think it's rather cool that you could be as world famous as David Beckham or even Tom Hanks um, and that David Beckham would always kind of go up to you and say... David Beckham, just in case, just in case you weren't quite sure. That's amazing. I love that. Okay, Um, so Tom Hanks goes on the island, right? And who's going to be his second choice? Well, um, it's a it's a group of people. It's a it's a generic group, but it is exemplified by someone like Piers Morgan. Okay, and. It's a group of people that I'm calling sexual prudes. Sexual prudes. So, as a sex and relationship host, it is obviously something that I talk about a lot. I talk about sex a lot. I talk about relationships all the time. And I am constantly amazed at how those three letters, S-E-X, really do seem to send people into a bit of a tailspin that you wouldn't ordinarily think. I mean, I can imagine that there could be some Mary Whitehouse types out there who don't like to imagine that other people talk freely and enjoyably about sex and try to encourage other people to have fantastic sex lives. But I am always amazed that sort of quite, you know, well, cosmopolitan people, one might say, uh, have seem to have a bit of a hang-up about it. Okay. And I was thinking about this in particular because I read an article by a Daily Mail um, writer called Belle Mooney, who could also perhaps also have been in this plane. Yes. Uh, she might also be in the island. And she was writing an article about the new BBC One dramas of Wonderlust and Bodyguard, where there is quite a high sexual activity count, okay. uh, shall we say. Right. Um, and she was basically claiming that these TV dramas are obsessed with sex, whereas real middle-aged women are not, and that somehow they'd actually prefer to be sitting in bed with a cup of tea reading a book. Uh-huh. And I, I, I felt so saddened to think that there are people out there who are promoting that myth, whereas, you know, when I was hosting a sex and relationship show on LBC, every single week people would be phoning in asking me how to improve their sex lives because people want fabulous sex and they and they recognize that they kind of deserve it so I was thinking about this and why I mentioned Piers Morgan is again one of the other shows that I get invited onto um, quite a lot presumably after this never again <laughs> um, was um, Good Morning Britain mm. and I was on talking about some sex related theme and Piers just started to really go off on one a real kind of shtick about oh it isn't all about I mean it isn't all about sex and how much you have and I I do know that the show is quite pantomime like and you've got Piers and you've got Susanna and they kind of play off each other and that is really good but it for me it is just too simplistic to assume that once you hit a certain age that somehow you're not interested in having sex anymore and actually even at the earlier age I've got this real thing about masturbation this is okay to talk about it we can turn this into a sex podcast if you like Um, no I think it's fine yeah um, I'm really enjoying this but I have I'm really passionate about encouraging people to get in touch with their bodies and be really comfortable with who they are sexually because Mm. that is the perfect way 
being able to ensure that when you go into a relationship, uh, you can encourage your partner to do things that you really enjoy. And I started talking about things like this and, and peers said... Piers was kind of very resistant and I was so surprised because I can't imagine that he is sexually frustrated at all. Um, I've, I've met his wife. She is absolutely stunning, really smart, very funny. Um, I can imagine they have a fantastic sex life. <laughs> Although, you know, who am I to, to, to say? But I just suddenly thought, what, please don't... If you've got a position of either prominence or celebrity... It would be great if we could champion amazing sex, positive sex stories, rather than kind of constantly doing it down and saying, no, we mustn't talk about it. I used to get people getting in touch saying, please don't talk about sex on the radio. There might be children listening. Mm. Um, And I think, well, actually, it's children that probably need to be talking about sex even more. Sex education at schools is really boring, really functional. Mm. It doesn't include things like emotions and foreplay and it certainly doesn't include masturbation. I think masturbation should be taught in schools. Don't you, James? Well, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, um, maybe it should. <laughs> Stop I, blushing. <laughs> no, I, am I blushing? Um, no. Um, <laughs> I, I, I certainly think that there is... A school of thought that says, you know, once you're 30 or 40, you're grinning. You're grinning. <laughs> no, it is. I'm, I'm just finding this really funny. I don't know why. Very rarely does the question come back onto me like that. And especially about masturbation, I'm thinking, okay, do I tell a story? But go on, you go first. Well, no, I was just thinking this idea that there, there is this assumption that once you reach a certain age, mm. that somehow your genitals wither yes. and you have no sex. Yes, And that somehow... Yeah. TV dramas on BBC One showing middle-aged people having sex is such an extraordinary thing. Whereas, in fact, you know what? It happens in lots of homes up and down the country yeah. every single night yes, yeah. or every single morning, or, yeah. you know, depending on your your um, preference. But I, it, really, it really astonished me that peers would play that shtick that that actually, you know, sex is is not something we should really talk about and let, let's try and keep it very, very straightforward and unexciting. So uh, he was possibly going to be um, in economy uh, on in the plane. Okay, at the, at the time, in economy, <laughs> there is no way it would be in economy. This is true. Maybe um, he's barged into first class with me and Tom. Yes, but I'm not trying to change the subject because this is uh, this is very interesting. How many of these sexual prudes are you encountering then? Is it, is it a lot? Are there... Is it is it like a constant in your life? I think the more I talk about it, the more people freely admit areas of their life to me that they would probably never speak about to other people. And therefore, and and with that comes the acknowledgement that some people are going to say, "Well, you know, I never, I never think about sex, and I never talk about it." And you're thinking, "What?" But we are all sexual creatures. We are all. We are all primed in a way to be desired. Mm. And that, I think, is is the really interesting thing. It's, I, I know what Belle Mooney was talking about when she was writing her article in the Daily Mail. What she was really saying was that women, women don't want just sex. They want the kind of the whole package. They want to feel desired. They want romance. And, but my argument is that actually it doesn't really matter what your gender is, what your sexual orientation is. We all want to feel desired. We all want to feel loved. Um, and that doesn't stop whether you're 26 or 76. Yes. Okay. So clearly, you're obviously this being your uh, being your job. Uh, you're you're very open to this, and you're very uh, you can talk very freely about sex. When 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 was that in your life that you you felt like you could just be so open about these things? Funnily enough, I ha- I did have a teacher at school who um, Mrs. Remington, um, and she had 
uh, a sort of policy that, that you know, what got said in the classroom stayed in that classroom. We had this really wacky subject called personal and social relationships, which I'm sure doesn't even exist nowadays. Mm. But it was designed to get you talking and thinking about yourself, thinking about your your views, your opinions, and being able to articulate them. And there were f- very few options, really, in my school for, for that to happen. So that one class once a week really stood out for me. And we talked about sex a lot. Uh-huh. So maybe from then on, I think I've always been pretty chilled about it in terms of... I mean, that, that's not to say I haven't had, you know, dating disasters and, mm. you know, uncomfortable experiences or awkward experiences, because we all have to go through those really challenging times. And certainly on my radio show, I talked all the time about you know, people, relationships that hadn't worked out, people I'd fancied who didn't fancy me back. Um, and uh, But at the same time, I think as long as you can communicate about it, as long as you can talk about what really works for you, what turns you on and what makes you feel sexually fulfilled, then you're going to have a better sexual relationship with whoever it is. Okay. Which brings me back to masturbation. Yes. Everything leads back to <laughs> masturbation. <laughs> Does it... Um... So was it a mixed school? I'm just curious. Was it, or was, it, it was. Was it? <laughs> it and, was. And what about the rest of the class? Very enlightened. Yes, it's good. Down near Bognor I, I went to a school that was uh, very opposite to that. And so there wasn't any classes that this was really brought up. And I remember sex education was very, yeah, sort of t- very textbook. You know, it was like... This goes there. This goes there. And that's it, you know. There and might that, be- my worry is that that's what's actually happening in schools even now. Is that it's very factual, mm. but there isn't so much about um, how to conduct relationships and how to set boundaries and how to how to work on your own self esteem so that people who treat you like shit are people that you can walk away from confidently. Mm. All of those sorts of things need to be educate we need to teach our young people that because they're not going to learn that by watching porn that's the scary thing is how much porn is available to our young people today get it on their phone oh yeah they share they share material they don't even know what they're looking at and that's where they get their education so and that that actually isn't just even in this this country when i had uh, you know when i on my sex and relationship show i would have people getting in touch from all over the world um because actually, they're in, I had this amazing little coterie of listeners from Iran. So wow. they would they would be in Tehran. They have no um, sex education whatsoever, apparently, and they would all meet in each other's houses, listen to the show online on by their computer, and then email in their questions or their comments. It's absolutely extraordinary. It's amazing. So I do like to feel that actually it isn't you know it's not just a British problem. No. Um, but I think we should just be having more sex and talking about it more. Yeah. Well, how great that you could be part of their education as well and help them with that. That's that's amazing. Yeah, that was actually quite humbling. Yeah, that is great. Okay, cool. So sexual prudes uh, for the need to talk about sex more. Definitely, okay. yes. Are you listening, Piers Morgan? Yeah, okay. Um, anything else on sexual prudishness before we leave it there? No, otherwise I'm just going to say masturbation again. <laughs> no, you don't need me blushing And your blush, exactly. Yeah. Okay, and um, who's going to be your third choice? So my third choice, again, slight cheat here, which is it's a group of people, Okay. Um, but they are cyclists. Cyclists? Yeah. <gasps> it's a big group of people. A very enormous group, and they're very, uh, and they, they're growing in numbers. And obviously we should celebrate people who are very keen to stay in shape and save the planet and all of that. But I ha- And I have to be very careful here because um, one of my oldest friends is a passionate advocate of cycling. Okay. Uh, Jeremy Vine cycles everywhere, talks about cycling all the time. And he and I are 
polar opposites on this topic uh, because I find cyclists, particularly here in central London, but I'm sure the same thing happens in other conurbations, um, is that I just find cyclists unbelievably arrogant and entitled when they're on the road. Yes, okay. And there are two stories I would like to tell um, which happened within 48 hours of me coming to this studio. Uh, So they're just happening all the time. Um, First of all, uh, there was... I was in Regent's Park on Sunday uh, with my husband and we were walking and there were very big signs on the pavement saying no cycling. Certain paths in the park, you're not allowed to cycle. And we were just happened, we just approached one particular part where these, uh, where the words were in the pavement and I could hear um, some wheels turning behind me and I kind of half turned and I could see it was quite a little child on a, on a bike. Uh, and I thought, well, if I say something, you know, his parents might sort of stop the child um, cycling down the path, which of course, by this stage is, is full of people walking down the path because they are entitled to. Mm. And I turned and I said, oh, no cycling here. And at that moment, a, a grown-up on a on a Boris bike, um, which of course is not actually now a Boris bike, it's a Santander bike. Right. But if I, <laughs> if I was the chairman of Santander, I'd be that's You'd not money livid, well yes, spent. I know. Um, and I, so I said my sentence, oh, there's no cycling here. And the, and the grown-up just overtook the child and cycled over the cycling, the word saying no cycling, no. and just carried on. Uh, so I called out again and said, it says no cycling. He says, yeah, it does. So then my husband joins in and says, so why are you cycling, mate? And the guy just gave him the finger. Um, and no. that, to me, just sums up the kind of people that I'm talking about. They are very, very kind of arrogant and entitled and Mm -hmm. just as I was crossing Brewer Street to come here a woman in a bugaboo is um just uh, it can't be. Uh, maybe it wasn't Brewer Street, but it was just at a traffic light where you've got these little red cycle um, lights mm. telling cyclists that they're not allowed to jump the lights. And a woman with a bugaboo crossed as she was legitimately entitled to do because it was a green man walking, and the cyclist just jumped the light and clipped the bugaboo. Clipped the bu- and just really? carried on. And the problem is, and I I get it when you're cycling and you've got all that adrenaline pumping through mm. your veins and you're on a mission, you're trying to be your personal best on your commute home I get all of that but you are totally um, ignoring everybody else who is legitimately allowed to be on that road yes and the thing I the thing that does wind me up is the number of times um, that other road users like buses and cars they over time a common code of courtesy exists whereby you do let other people in and you keep the traffic flowing by perhaps letting somebody cross your path so that they can go into a turning while you're stationary. And all those things happen with other vehicles. They let each other go. Mm. And cyclists never do that. Because they're so fast. Mm. They're so pumped up. Mm. And the problem is speed kills. And that actually I I am always... Very, very upset to hear if a cyclist has been killed. That is, that is a death that is completely unnecessary. Yeah. And I'm, I'm on their side when there are motorists that are driving badly. But please, I think a lot of cyclists, and I speak now, kind of my, my psychology training comes in here, which is that if you, if you, if you put 
a certain attitude out there into the world, that is what is going to come back at you. You know, when you go to a party and you think, oh, this party is going to be shit, lo and behold, you have a shit time because mm. that's the kind of energy that you're putting out yes. there. I think a lot of cyclists put out very negative, the world is out to get me, everyone else on the road is a moron vibes. Mm. And lo and behold, that's what they get that back. That's what comes back. Yeah, yes. that's their limiting belief. Their limiting belief is everybody hates cyclists and therefore that's what they get. Oh dear, okay. I think this is very good. So it could be quite a busy island, mm, but I'm yeah. hoping that the cyclists and Piers Morgan can like kind of just come to blows together, the leaving ma- me on the sunland. Mammals, they call them, isn't it? The middle-aged men in lycra. <laughs> in lycra. Exactly. That's the worry, is they've got the kit. Yes. They've got that sense of entitlement that they're saving the planet. Mm. And they don't really worry about anyone else. No. I um, So I used to uh, live seven miles from work, and I used to cycle in in of, of a morning. Now, I'm not a keen cyclist. I bought a bike for the, for the purpose. I bought a helmet. That's and always I, a good plan. And lights and a bell and made sure I had all the gear. But it really did shock me every morning just to see up, up, up close the risks that cyclists were just taking, jumping the lights at a crossing yep. or like... Uh, just shooting across a lane or like, you know, um, almost racing a black cab down the road. And you just think, yep. guys, what are you doing? It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Just, you know, get your get your little, get one of those little sit up and beg bikes with a little basket in front yeah. and still get the exercise. <laughs> yeah. But don't worry about the 10 gears and don't yeah. worry about the sort of, as you say, all the Lycra kit. Just, you know, and cycle that- and be a friendly user on the road don't worry about shaving three minutes off your Ooh, journey my word. Yeah. I wonder what you were going to say there I thought oh. you were going to say shaving your <laughs> yeah, no, no. to get that extra streamlined yeah, wow. yeah. velocity okay. Um, okay cyclists anything else on cyclists no, I'd rather not no okay, all right. be giving them too much air time okay Lucy <laughs> Well, thank you very much. Now, mercifully, among the wreckage of the plane, there is some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad? So the food, I I am actually a bit fussy of okay. food. And if the food is a bit rubbish, I just don't eat it. I always... Um, I always carry a packet of oat cakes with me just in case food anywhere is rubbish. Okay. Um, in fact, I th- have I... Have you got oat cakes um, with you now? Yes, you've got I your have, oat Just cakes. in case your, you know, seven-course meal that we'll be having after this is, <laughs> yeah. is not up to snuff. Um, so I, there are lots of things I don't eat, mm. but there are lots of things that I would sort of think, okay, if I'm an extremist, if I am on a desert island, I'm probably going to have to suck it up. But the one thing I just can't eat is Chinese food. Ah, okay. So that's that whole country written off. <laughs> um, and I... I think it's because, well, partly partly because if it's very authentic, then it will just be gross because it'll be like chicken's feet, deer's penis, soup made of lark vomit, you know, all of those kind of classic dishes that they have. Um, And if it isn't authentic, then it'll just be orange gloop. Mm, Yes. With bits of pork floating in it. And yeah. they're just, and imagine it's going to be airline Chinese food as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be true. even yeah, worse. That's horrible. So that could be a disaster if that happens. And I, I, offer, I have a theory that if you, um, 
if you travel, we tend to love the places where we also enjoy the food. Mm. And conversely, if the food is shit or the food is really difficult, that often we'll say, oh, I didn't really like that place. Mm. And that has happened. I'm lucky enough to have gone to China a few times and I just find the food really difficult. And I was there... um, giving a talk with a client who I um, worked with a lot. So we went to Shanghai quite a lot. And I was always the person saying, um, oh, have you got any new um, tapas restaurants? Or um, I hear there's this amazing, you know, British pub in the French concession or something, just hoping that they would pick up the hint that I just didn't want to go local or native. Um, And I think the only food that was ever worse than that was we went to North Korea once for three days. Wow. For three really, really long days. And um, and as you can imagine, the food was quite hard work there. So we lived off Pringles. Thank goodness we had bought um, a couple of tubs of Pringles uh, at Beijing Airport. And that we eked them out for for three days because the food was, as you can imagine. And even that, I, I, we felt really bad about that because obviously the food we were being given was, was probably quite high calibre. But it was quite quite grim can you like what kind of stuff there was a lot of shredded cabbage a lot of shredded raw cabbage like you know how white cabbage is in a dressing and Mm. things like that but it was it was just well it was i i felt i felt uncomfortable complaining because they felt that they were giving us the best that they could um but it was just hard to identify things okay um and yeah exactly your face yeah my face i know yes i'm just i can imagine and yeah you you feel sympathy for us quite gruesome yeah yeah okay so any tips for anyone going in donald trump for example take your pringles with you when you go i'm not a massive advocate of uh of chinese food i mean i like chinese food occasionally but i feel like you've almost put me on a complete 180 <laughs> the way you describe that orange gloop with bits of pork in it and i can just imagine the amount of times i've eaten that orange gloop with bits of pork in and we it. have to assume that it is pork but it could be anything else so it's just the orange gloop covering it all up okay no, just don't go there okay take your oat cakes that's the thing if you're in a carry your oat cakes wherever you go and if randomly you're in a plane crash you are sorted. Okay, oat cakes. That's with. my advice. Um, top tips. The top tips. Masturbate and carry oat cakes. <laughs> Not to be combined. Um, Lucy, um, what's going to be your drink choice? So I tend to be quite boring. I don't drink very much. I drink mm. a lot of water um, and I don't really drink very much alcohol. However, I love... If I go to a party and I'm lucky enough that they're serving champagne, I love that first hit of champagne where it's really cold and really bubbly and prickly on your tongue. So for me, the worst thing is that if we discovered that, yes, they had champagne, but for some reason... It's warm and it's gone flat. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. Wow. Just that, just that, the, you've had this awful experience. You're on the island. What have we got? What have we got to drink? <gasps> it's champagne. It's the, it's the deflation. It's the, it's the way it kills the hope. Yes. Okay. I see. So you're brought up by the sight and then brought down by what you're about to experience. Okay. Champagne as a choice. That's, I don't think that's ever come up. But it has to be warm and it has to be flat. It has to be warm and flat. I get you. Okay. Warm and flat champagne. Yeah, that would be quite grueling. Um, yes. Drink enough of it, though. Maybe it'll pass some time. I don't. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Um, when have you ever had warm and flat champagne? 
Well, that would probably be at the end of a very long party. Okay. Many student mm. occasions where, and of course it wouldn't have even been, really been champagne. It would have been like some kind of cheap carver or something. Right, yeah. And you, and you know, you know you, you've stayed too long at the party when that's pretty much all that's left. Someone's left a little teaspoon at the top. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. You know, the part, it's four o'clock in the morning. Most people have gone. You go into the kitchen and you see, you see the bottle and it's got the teaspoon in it and you think, this could be, I could be getting the last dregs and it's not, it's warm, it's flat, it's okay. time to go. Yeah, okay. Taxi for Lucy. So not really a big drinker? Not really, no. I did my gap year in... Peru and I loved Pisco Sours and we're very lucky here in London that there are loads of restaurants, Peruvian restaurants that do Pisco Sours so they taste a bit like margaritas but with like egg white foam on the top. Wow. I'm not really selling it am I? No. Egg white foam on the top and a sprinkling of cinnamon but it's just it's I think it just takes me back. It's like a sort of Proust Madeleine. It takes me back to my gap here. Wow. But no I can I'm not a really big booze boozy drinker. I have never heard of that drink in my life. You never heard of Pisco Sour? No. There are loads of, there's a, um, yeah, just down the road in Frith Street, there's uh, a, a uh, great restaurant called Lima. You'll have to try. I'll go and try. Okay, mm. all right. On your recommendation, I'll try. Um, okay, thank you very much, Lucy. Fortunately for you, you won't be without entertainment on the island. Great, right? But the plane's entertainment system continues to work. But just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favourite film of all time and the other is your least favourite song. What are they and why? So you guaranteed that you wouldn't play the song. I, I'm not going to play you the song because <laughs> it's okay. that bad. It's okay. that bad. So the song. song oh, well, so I feel really, I really feel really tricky about this because I actually fancy the person who sings it, Chris Martin. Okay, Chris Martin. Um, uh, but I cannot bear. So I even had to find out. I even had to ask my husband what this song is called because I haven't even bothered to find out what it's called. It's called Clocks. Clocks by okay. Coldplay. Uh, don't hum it. Don't do anything. So when I first heard it, it reminded me of being ill in bed at three in the morning and, and slightly delirious with a temperature mm. and having things going round and round and round in your head in a slightly distorted hallucinatory way and the opening of the song which I think also carries on but I don't want to, I don't want to have it um, I don't want to hear mm. it just reminds me of lying in bed feeling feverish and delirious and I have been known to for it to come on in a friend's car uh, and this actually happened um, relatively recently. It came on a on a CD that they had put together. So by definition, it must be one of their favourite songs. Oh, no. And I leapt from the back seat <laughs> through the front seats and switched off <laughs> the radio. Just instinctively, because I cannot... And the worst thing about it is it's everywhere. It's in lifts. It's yes. in coffee shops. Yeah. It's sometimes in in boutiques. And Mad I just have to... I have to, I have yeah. to go. I have to walk out. Really? So... Um, I, I look forward to hearing back this podcast apart from that, that bit. bit. And then I'll have to fast forward. <laughs> oh, no. no, no okay. No. That bad. Yeah, no, I just really... Re and I, I have fantasised about maybe getting together with Chris Martin and becoming a muse <laughs> for him so that he could write something better okay. that would then supplant clocks and nobody would ever play clocks again. That would obviously make my life a little <laughs> bit more straightforward. But 
that's possibly not going to happen. If I see that Coldplay's new song is called Masturbation and Oatcakes, that, then I'll know. <laughs> then we'll know that, that, I, that I got in there. You've done that it. I got in there, um, yes. Clocks by Coldplay. How do you feel about the rest of Coldplay songs? I think it's kind of scarred me. So okay. I've never never listened to any, just in case. Because, you know, maybe they, they've got like a riff that mm. they repeat in other songs. People are listening and they think, oh, how funny he sampled that song as well. Like, no, no, we can't run that risk. Uh, so, no, I haven't really tried. And as I say, the problem is that actually I think Chris Martin is adorable. And um, could I not just have him? You could, yeah, but just ask him to never sing again. Yes, exactly. Say, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, great. So... Clocks by Coldplay. Um, so, what what happened when you were so ill that time? When well, I I I, I had a temperature of over one hundred and three. Wow. wow! And I suppose the, the huge irony of this is that at the time I was looking forward to going to see Barry Manilow, ah. and I kept thinking, "Got to be well, got to be well, got to get through this." It, you know, this was on the like the first of December, and Barry Manilow was on performing at the O2 on the sixth of December some years ago. And I think I was just in such a bad shape that I heard this song and it just thought, no, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like it's that earworm that you get when you're also ever so slightly feverish and nothing makes sense and it feels very hallucinatory. Mm. That was the worry. Okay. So, yeah. Can we move on? Yes, we can. Absolutely. Um, And what's going to be your film choice? Well... Obviously, anything with Tom Hanks in it, Mm -hmm. that would be tricky. Um, But... To be honest, what I would, what would really be uncomfortable, his films are sort of bearable to watch, mm. even though they're schmaltzy. I actually have a, a bit of a problem with war films. Okay. Um, I think I, I've thought about this a lot over the years because you know various people will say, "Oh, why don't we go and see Hurt Locker? Why don't we go and see Dunkirk?" Mm. And I just, I, it doesn't really do it for me. And I think that it is because my childhood was punctuated by. Sunday afternoons watching war films because that's all the BBC seemed to show. And both my parents were in the war. My mother was uh, an evacuee and uh-huh. my, my father actually was um, was a prisoner of war in Singapore, wow. in Changi Jail. No way. So for them, these movies were hugely nostalgic, a very, you know, very seminal time in both their lives. Mm. And... I, you know, I had no siblings, so I'm, I'm telling a little bit of a sob story here to get my little family yeah, out. I can hear. Um, so I, it was just the, the three of us watching these very depressing black and white movies, and I have rather felt that I've paid my dues over the years in watching war films. But it does mean that I have missed out on incredible films, apparently, like you know, Dunkirk. Um, Hurt Locker, yes. Catherine Bigelow is one of my all-time heroines. I would love her to make a movie of one of my novels. I think she is incredible. But, and also I've, I've kind of um, missed out on the camaraderie that comes from quite a lot of these movies. Because a lot of people, I don't know about you, but a lot of my friends mm. seem to be word perfect on some of these war films. Okay. Like Where Eagles Dare, for example. Right, yes. Everybody seems to know every single scene and have they have lots of lines that they quote to each other. Like, right. I thought the church was on the other side of the square. Oh, that one, and yes. And I'm thinking, I don't know what you're talking about because I haven't seen the film. I haven't seen Battle of Britain. I haven't seen, uh, you know, The Bridge Too Far. I just haven't seen these movies. And I, I guess I've missed out on a whole slice of 
British life as a result. I think you probably have, but you were scarred from those long, slow, grainy three-hour... I know the films, yeah. I thought... I actually thought that the past was in black and white. And my, I did actually say that to my mother once, and she thought that was incredibly amusing. I suppose the combination, let's be honest, the combination of a Tom Hanks film and a war film, so I guess it would have to be Saving Private Ryan. Okay. Which is also very long. Save, so yes, it is. let's go for Saving Private Ryan Save, as a movie. Saving Private Ryan. And of course, presumably, Tom Hanks would want to watch it the whole time. Is yes. There, is there any sex in it? Um, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, I haven't seen it in a very long time, though. But um, Saving Private Ryan. Yes, and he could have a sort of actor's commentary throughout <laughs> if he was there, and he could just, just give you a play-by-play. Yeah. This yeah. is what it was like. These are the scenes. He would then act out all the scenes that were cut or something. I mean, it would just go on forever. Oh, it'd be horrible. And then yeah. Piers Morgan would be like, oh, I've got to interview Tom Hanks. And <laughs> yeah. All the cyclists would be running Let's around. Let's do live like, stories. Let's do live stories. <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah. do live stories now. Okay. It would be painful. Um... Okay, Saving Private Ryan's going to be your film then. Sadly, yes. War, war films with a... War films with a, with a subset of Saving, Saving Private, Private Ryan. Ryan. Okay. And finally, the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it and why? Thin monkeys. Thin monkeys? Yeah, so that again is... That widens the net. But I'm trying to uh, say that, you know, this isn't orangutans, this aren't... Not gorillas, not kind of big, sturdy creatures that I feel I could have a, have a connect with. <laughs> yeah. But I'm thinking of um, monkeys that, that get everywhere. If you go away mm. on holiday to certain parts of the world and they say, oh, and you must kind of close your suitcases because we get monkeys coming into the room and they'll, they'll um, rifle through your suitcase. And I'm thinking, what, what, what the fuck is well, going on? Yeah. I want to have a stress-free holiday and now I've got to try kind of keep my oatcake safe yes, in case exactly. a monkey comes yeah. along and, and tries to, um, you know, get its bony fingers into my supplies. And I have had a couple of holidays that have been slightly spoiled by very thin monkeys swinging on trees, kind of getting into the luggage and the fridge and and causing mayhem. Yeah. So imagine them on a desert island oh, ruling no. the roost. And I'm okay, I would be okay with snakes. I've, I have actually come across a couple of snakes in the past and you just stand still. You stand still and they wriggle past. So. Snakes in the wild? Yeah, yeah, in Africa. Wow, amazing. And you stay still. You don't look. And... Uh, I'm assuming other things like crocodiles and stuff like that, which other people might have chosen. Yeah. I just think, you know, they're big enough, they're slow enough, you could probably walk away. But a monkey is just like, they'd be on your back. Yeah, the thin sort of uh, spider monkey. Do you know what I mean? Those are, like the, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, Ooh. they get amongst you, yes. Ooh. And they've got so much confidence, they're not scared of you at all. I know. Yeah. Apart from the, but what would be quite sweet are the little babies. See, every time I think of something, I'm thinking of what could be quite nice about it. Yeah. The little babies <laughs> yeah. clinging to their mother's underside. That is always very adorable. That is nice. But, yeah. then, they're like, but then the mother would be trying to steal your oatcakes to feed that baby. Wouldn't that be awful? Mm. Monkeys. I don't. I can't think that I've had... A, that many interactions I can't I think I've, I've been that close to a live monkey but maybe I just need to travel a bit more <laughs> um, thin monkeys okay so thin monkeys is going to be a choice yeah with bony fingers with that, bu- that's the key yes um, Lucy thank you so much for coming in my pleasure it's been a lot of fun um, Lucy you said about podcasts are you starting a podcast really soon yes so I'm starting a sex and relationships one about dating ah. dating disasters and uh, 
and how to get it right. Okay, what's going to happen? Are you going to have listener stories or what? Exactly, listener stories. So yeah, we'll get you on. <laughs> yeah, get me your, on. Yeah. Talk about all your dating disasters. Maybe not. I <laughs> 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 could do. Let's see. Um, okay, great. And if people want to find you, Lucy, where can they find you? www.lucybearsford.co.uk and on Twitter. Yeah, okay, same Lucy Beresford on Twitter. At Lucy Beresford. Excellent. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thank right. you. Thank you. Thank you.